From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. It's not every day you get to talk to someone who is related to an official saint or blessed in the Catholic Church. But I had that awesome opportunity just last week when I spoke with Anna Grande. Anna's great uncle was Father Rutilio Grande, a Jesuit from El Salvador who was beatified just last month. Beatification is the final step before canonized sainthood in the church, and we can call him Blessed Rutilio when we talk about him now. Blessed Rutilio was assassinated by El Salvador's security forces for his ministry with impoverished farmers. He was good friends with Archbishop Oscar Romero, and Rutilio's death sparked Romero's own conversion from a reserved leader who preferred to stay away from controversy to an outspoken prophet for peace and justice. I talked to Anna just a few hours after she had returned to her home in Los Angeles from Father Rutilio's beatification. I asked her what it was like to be there for the ceremony, plus what it's like to have someone in your own family so close to sainthood. Anna has so clearly been inspired by Blessed Rutilio's work for justice herself, and she has dedicated her life to social justice causes like immigration reform. Anna is also a longtime member of Blessed Sacrament Church, the Jesuit parish in Hollywood. It was so powerful to hear from Anna about her experience at the beatification and how she thinks her great uncle's legacy should inspire all of us today. You can subscribe to AMDG wherever you get podcasts, and thanks for joining us. Well, Ana Grande, welcome to AMDG. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. How are you? I am doing well, exhausted, but overjoyed with everything that's happened. Yeah, so I'm speaking with you the, the day after you've flown back to the United States from El Salvador, where you were for the beatification of Father Rutilio Grande, who you are related to. Do I have that right? Uh, yes. You're, you're a family member. Yes, I am his great niece. He is my father's uncle. Your father's uncle. So you have the same last name. So this would be your grandfather's brother. Is that how that would work then? Uh, first cousins, you? actually. Yeah, it, it, it gets weird in Latin America. You know, we, we call everybody okay, yeah. and everybody aunt. And you know, it doesn't matter where in the chain you are. It's just a matter of respect. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay. Um and yeah, so we'll get to, to that, your experience in El Salvador. Uh, but first, maybe just tell me a little bit uh, about yourself and uh, and where you're from, what you do. Sure. Um, born and raised in Hollywood, California. Um, I belong to a Jesuit parish, Blessed Sacrament Church, also here in Hollywood, which was a great coincidence of life. Uh, both of my parents uh, migrated from El Salvador, my mother in 1972, and my father migrated in 1977 because he was also threatened. Um, you know, he had death threats uh, because of the war and because of his relationship with our uncle. Um, hmm. uh, let's see, at the age of seven, I was, um, <laughs> I was trained as a community organizer by the Pacific Institute of Community Organizing, also known as PICO, which is a Jesuit organization. And since then, I haven't stopped. Um, my first rally was at 15, my first walkout at 17, and my first civil, civil disobedience at 19. So definitely runs in the family. I, I kept it up. <laughs> um, currently, I'm an, an, an associate executive director at the Breezy Foundation here in Los Angeles. 
So um, tell me about your, you know, your earliest memories of learning that you were connected to this person who was a pretty big deal, um, both where your family was from and then also in the, the church around the world. Mm. That's a wonderful question. Um, I was actually six. And at that moment in time here in Los Angeles, the uh, Solidarity and Sanctuary Movement um, had kind of taken flight. And my parish, Blessed Sacrament, had transformed its old convent into a sanctuary for Central American um, and, you know, South American um, refugees from the wars. And I remember um, walking into what was now known, well, what was going to be called Casa Grande. And, you know, I was walking with my mom, my aunt, and several of my cousins. And as you open the door, you see his black and white picture, the one that, you know, is pretty much commonly used. And my aunt um, started crying. And she's like, she looked at us, and we were all very young. She's like, that's, that's our uncle. And you need to learn about him and you need to be respectful um, because uh, we carry, you know, his name. And um, at that moment, uh, it, it didn't really hit me. I was only seven. Um, but I remember, you know, meeting some of the refugees who had actually worked with him. Uh, and they shared so many stories. And I'm one of the very few cousins that actually carries those la the last name. Um but it's uh, it was it was just beautiful, you know, to learn, you know, from several of them like, oh, wow, you know, you just did something and it, and it reminds us of him. Right. Or your facial expression you just did or, you know, this thing with your hands or, you know, we in our family, we talk a lot. Um, it's called Galiche in, in Salvadoran, uh, which is very slangish, um, uh, very um very from El Paisnal and Aguilares and, that's, uh, and, and that sort of thing. So when we're talking to people, just to ground ourselves with them, we start talking caliche. And, you know, they always get surprised, you know, when, when we use the, the, those sort of terminology. Um, or how, we, or, or how we, we tend to just, you know, start helping folks and, and being really in solidarity because that's what he taught us the most, right? Being one with others. Um, so that's been the legacy. That's how I learned about him. And little by little, every year, I either bump into somebody who, who worked with them, no view of him, or he helped transform their life in some way, shape, or form. And that's just always such a beautiful thing, you know, that I am gifted with on, on, on a yearly basis. Did you remember? So I imagine from so if you're very young and you hear, oh, this was someone who was very important, who was in our, our family. And then as you get older and are involved in different social causes, come to kind of learn more about his his life and, and what he did and, and why he was killed. Um, do you are there things that you remember learning about him that uh, really inspired you as you were on your life journey as you got older? Um, there's a lot of things that have inspired me. His humbleness. Uh, one, um, his, his discipline, which is something that we really share. Um, I had no idea he was a perfectionist, um, and I'm also type A. <laughs> but um, I think that above all, his just willingness to and desire above all things to, to preach the gospel loudly, but with actions, right? And um, that really touched people to really 
see their their humanity in times of crisis, in times where where folks have um, been marginalized const constantly. And so that has really guided my life personally and guided, you know, everything that, you know, we do as a family as well, making sure that uh, we treat others with dignity and remind them that, you know, they are the image of God. Are there any items or photos or images, things that you have uh, of him that you've uh, inherited or, or come across uh, over the years? Um, I've definitely have... Uh, Family members and folks have shared photos with me. Uh, they're very little, unfortunately. Um, we don't have a lot as, uh, you know, at least my my immediate family, just because a lot of it was burned during the war. Uh, mm. but yeah. <laughs> so when, when the UCA, right, the University of Central America in El Salvador reached out as they were preparing for the beatification, they're like, do you have this or that? It's like, no, we, we either buried it or burned it. And um, that's the, the sadness, right? Of like, as a family, we've had to let go of a lot of things. Um, and most of our family members had to flee during the, the war. Um, but no, we're very lucky. I've been able to, to, to touch a shirt of his um, that was stained with his blood. Um, I've been able to also, um, you know, just witness um, and hear a lot of the testimonies of people he's impacted from the woman he empowered to the campesino who decided, you know, enough was enough um, to the very priests, you know, that, that have said, I'm, I've joined the priesthood because I want to live a life like him. So yeah, that, that's all I can really tell you that I have. Sure. No. And that's, that's so powerful. And I, so again, he, he's someone who, when you hear about him, hear about the work he did, uh, as you said, in solidarity alongside the people who were being oppressed, uh, especially people kind of uh, living on the land. Uh, you hear about his the influence he had on uh, St. Oscar Romero in terms of kind of being one of the, maybe the main person who kind of kicked off uh, Romero's own uh, kind of conversion experience. But I'm sure as you gotten to talk to people who knew him and talk to your family members and people... You might like maybe know more about him as a person or how people describe him and you refer to his humility but what are other things uh, about him as a person uh, that we might not know from just kind of reading a little bit um of his biography mm. um from what my my older cousins tell me and my aunts and uncles he had a great sense of humor he always put faith first and then family and he wanted family to to always live a life of rectitude and um, and in service, and, and I think that we pretty much all do it in our own on our own way. Um, I love the fact that he he had he always took special care of youth, wanting to inspire them, wanting to mentor them, and um, really just you know from what I hear, um, you couldn't say no to him <laughs> uh, because. Uh, for example, one of my, my cousins was sharing that this this carnival or, you know, fiesta had arrived at the town and um, she was she and my other cousins were going to get on on this particular carnival ride. And he um, he said, don't get on those rides. They're not safe. You know, being the 10 or 12 year old that she was at that time, um, she's like, no, I'm good. Right. You know, shoved it off. It's after all, it's just this uncle. And, um, you know, because she, 
well, because she decided not to heed his warning, he pulled her and the rest of the cousins out of the line, marched them straight over to church, and made them kneel and say a rosary. <laughs> so that was one. The second I've heard is, um, you know, uh, one of my aunts didn't want to get married. Um, you know, she didn't have, want to have a religious ceremony. He's like, there's no way in hell that that's going to happen on my watch. And um, what he did is he, he went over to the house and performed the actual Um, but yes it's one of those things like you couldn't say no um you know and you know one of the things i also take away is again his humility is like he would go around the town and if i know is actually pretty big and it has what we call cantones or like neighborhoods um that are much more impoverished than what you see in, in the center of the town and um he would he would like to go and stay actually, or go and eat with certain families and he's like just you know i don't need your bed I'm, I'm going to sleep on the floor and there was no and ifs or buts on that um or i'm gonna stop by and can you know just have beans for me or, or some um some corn on the cob right uh it, it's like he didn't want more but it's more like he he wanted just to spend that quality time with folks um, so those are the memories that have been shared with me, um, which is something that I um, I just cherish because I wish I had met him. Mm, sure. So the, the process, this formal process of canonization took a long time um, for, I guess the church moves slowly. So sometimes it can take even centuries, but still, I feel like he was canonized quote unquote by the people and, and those who were uh, um, inspired by him long before the church came around to making this declaration uh, that he was a martyr and that he'd be beatified. But I just wondering for you in that process, do you remember kind of when you found out that he was going to be beatified? They made this announcement that um, he, his cause towards sainthood had, had moved in this, in this direction. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I, uh, there were twi- there were two moments. One was about like almost 10, 10 years ago. Um, I, when, when Pope Francis just walked in, uh, he said, you know, yes, we're going to go ahead and canonize Romero, right? Which was my uncle's great friend. Um, but in that process, we also need to do something for Rutilio. And so from what I've heard and a lot of the bishops have shared with me is that the Pope has this wonderful admiration and um, for the life of my uncle, which, you know, I also take to heart. Um, It's very moving. Uh, But the second time I remember was um, last, late last year. And (laughs) this person from, um, from London actually called me and he's like, have you heard? And it was like two, three in the morning here (laughs) in Los Angeles. And I'm like, what have I heard? What? (laughs) He's like, um, your uncle, you know, the, he's going to be beatified. The Pope has decreed. And I was like, no way. And of course, every, but everything just started. I didn't really sleep that night because people started calling me from Washington, D.C. and from other places around the world, including El Salvador. And they're like, okay, you guys have to get ready. And, you know, um, it was just, it was just beautiful. And when they finally set the date, I, I was just elated, you know, uh, I was actually able to move some of my aunts and, and cousins to come with me. Uh, one of them hadn't been to the country for over 30 years. So um, it, it was a very special moment as a family. 
Yeah. So, well, for one thing, who called you from London um, in the middle of the night? Is it someone you knew? Or was actually, it just a I don't know him personally, but um, we've connected and, and um, his name is Michael Woodward. Uh, but he's very active out, out in the out in the church in London, and it, it just happened that he decided to to call me, and I was like, okay. <laughs> um. So, so you mentioned you you brought some family members, and mm-hmm. again, the the beatification happened uh, in El Salvador just uh, January, so twenty twenty two on on the twenty second. Um, so yeah, tell me about about that experience. What I'm sure there's a lot of different elements and a lot to take in and a lot of emotion, but just yeah, tell me uh, tell the story of that trip. So you you get there, and and what are the different things that you were involved in? Uh, well, we got there Thursday night, and Friday morning we headed over to Advaisnan, uh because we've been helping the um, the pastor at the at San Juan uh, San Juan I wish uh, San Jose del Paisnal Parish, um, which is where you know the um, the bodies are laid to rest, and you know they've done so many repairs, and we've helped you know um, fund through several of our funds and all that, so we've been part of all this. Um, all to say is we wanted to go and see it. We wanted to go and thank the youth that have been heavily involved in the entire process um, for the celebration and definitely just, you know, spend some quality time with um, with, with Rutilio and with Nelson and Manuel and, you know, pray uh, silently, uh, you know, because this is what was, it was going to be our only time together as a family to just be right in the presence and um, we were able to do that. Um, we were able to pray with the youth. Um, it was just very moving. Can you imagine just feeling, it's now a mausoleum. It's a replica of what the church used to look like um, during his time. And it was just, it was beautiful. And, uh, you know, Father Juan Carlos has done such a wonderful job renovating the, the church and, you know, making it just look welcoming and, um, and of course, the youth uh, kneeled with us, and, and you know they shared their experiences of, you know, why this means a lot to them um, as as the young church. And um, we we ate, <laughs> we all we all ate together, we sang together, we cried together. Um, but it was hot. <laughs> uh, El is super duper hot right now. Um, and so we got back and, and you know, we, we were able to share additional time with other family members in San Salvador, uh, made preparations for Saturday. Saturday came and we, we really wanted to do was also pay, um, you know, we wanted to honor those that um, came after Rutilio or those he impacted like Romero. So we went to El Hospitalito on Saturday morning, um, you know, um, spoke with, with the sisters that are there and, and spoke with some of the patients, but we're trying really hard. Well, we were from, were from afar because of COVID. Um, it was very moving. Um, and from there, we went over to the beatification. We had to be there too. The ceremony was not starting until five. Um, and of course, you know, think of it, it's the sun is just like on us. And um, we were burning hot at one point. But, you know, I, I was able to sneak in and, and I, you know, I asked for permission. I took pictures from the altar, took pictures of the altar, um, was able to speak to some of the priests there. Um, and, and it was just beautiful. And you could just feel 
but you could feel right there it was just a lot of love and this like very soft breeze just blowing through the entire afternoon like it was just you know hugging you the the, the entire time and of course um my other family members came in the 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 sisters of nelson demos was there um and we were able to talk with them and uh, you know it was my first time meeting them um but we're very interconnected with them uh, through the family and uh including one of my aunts is actually both the venice of frutilio and venice of nelson which is really funny um very interesting so uh, we were like, okay, well, I guess you're the next, you know, saint in the family. <laughs> um, but it was like, like lovely, you know, I think that one of the most impactful things is just seeing the amount of youth actually involved. Like there was nobody over 25 helping you walk into the beatification ceremony um, mm-hmm. or, you know, directing you or I was able to interview one of them you know, just for my own curiosity. And he, he's like, I'm, I'm moved, right? I follow the, the Franciscan, actually, um, principles. And, you know, he, he he's, Cosme Espesoto has, has inspired my life. And it was, it was just wonderful to hear throughout. And, you know, the ceremony starts. <clears throat> and of course, we all get like this huge knot in our throats, right? Because we could just feel the power of, of what was happening and as soon as they um, pronounce, you know, that he is blessed, we just, <laughs> we just cried. And I'm still very moved um, because the people definitely made him a saint already. But to see the church recognize a life who, yes, everybody's just like, oh, yeah, he wasn't fearful. No, he was. But he didn't care because he knew that what was what he was doing was really living the gospel out loud. And so it was just so, um, so impactful, so moving. And to this day, of course, I'm like in tears. But it was, it, you know, we all hugged at that very moment. And, um, and it was really hard because when you're in the middle of about 10 or 12 people being hugged, it gets really tight, <laughs> but um, you know we we heard the song you know that was written um, in his in his honor, which is "Vamos Solos al Banquete," and it's a very popular song, and that just moved us even more. And um, once you know Nelson was also um, beatified, we hugged the family, and it was it was very moving, um, very impactful at that moment. Yeah, well, thank you so much for for sharing that uh, and sharing some of your experience. Um, just so again, un- unimaginable, uh, certainly, just to, to think about about that. Um, but so grateful to you for for being willing to to talk a little bit about your experience. And I'm curious for you. So we mentioned Pope Francis, who's one of the the, the probably the, the primary person who kind of led this, and then had to again make the decree. Um, what has it been like to see this this Pope, this Latin American Pope, who clearly so admires and is moved by your uncle um just to imagine like yeah so there are fans of father rutilio grande including the pope is that just been like what has that been like for you over the past handful of years to kind of uh, see that admiration um it makes me feel a little bit closer to the pope um not that i've ever met him i really wish i i could um 
So I'm putting it out there in the universe. <laughs> I'd like to meet Pope Francis. Um, give him a great big hug, even though I'm not supposed to. Um, <laughs> but um, it's just been very, um, in a way, validating. Uh, you know, the life of, of my uncle, the life of of Nelson and Manuel and, and Oscar Romero and all those that came after, you know, it's it's a validation of a, of a church, the, the institution and the people um, that have suffered so greatly in, in those countries. And I'm saying like all countries, right? It's not just El Salvador. But, um, and he knows it because he's lived oppression, right? He's had to survive. And so... You know, to see that he and to know that he understands this from from a from a personal experience is, is very moving. Um, he didn't shun uh, or run away. He stayed there, um, you know, in, in his home country to, to help those and to even criticize from time to time. Right. He just got very lucky. So it's been wonderful to have a pope that knows of the marginalization of people but also embraces it and, and is so much more welcoming and is making, you know, the church more open, right, to reconciliation, which is what we need. You're starting to kind of get into this uh, question that I'm curious about, but wondering from your perspective, what are those elements of Father Rutilio's life? And you like to think about the communion of saints and, and those who can guide us and kind of exist for us in, in all times and can turn to and for inspiration. And the, the church today, as you see it, um, where do we really need uh, Blessed Rutilio's uh, intercession? Like, what are the things that he can he can show us and, and lead us toward? Um, <laughs> I always I always kid around personally that he gives me too much work to do. Uh, <laughs> so if you want to know what to do with your hands and your feet, I think that's a that this is a great person to pray for. Um, but in all honesty, I think that um, he's he he would intercede, or he at least I feel. Of course, I I I don't have miracle to prove it, but he can intercede in community organizing, um, and also in single family homes, and in work with youth. And uh, you know, I, I just read a beautiful article about you know how can he could be the the new um, saint for mental illness and. I, I'd like to say mental health because, you know, we all, we all go through something. And um, I think he'd be wonderful of that. Um, you know, he he's also like somebody who we could pray for vocations. Um, but above all, I think he's somebody we, we can pray for justice and really, um, really walking with others, you know, and having an option for the poor and building those bridges of, of gospel and justice and society. And there's just so many themes there. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I just have a conversation. We'll see where, where we, we land on that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, before I let you go, you mentioned he gives you a lot of work to do. And you mentioned the beginning, your involvement in community organizing. Just could you tell me a little bit more about uh, what, what you've been involved in and what are some of the causes uh, you're most passionate mm -hmm. about? Sure. I um, I started organizing around access to higher education, and I'm still doing that, but through a lens uh, for the undocumented student. So I was one of the um, statewide uh, campaign directors for the California Dream Act. 
I've been working closely with um, the undocumented uh, students as well as some of the organizations nationwide to pass the DREAM Act. I'm very involved around immigration reform. Um, those have been my, I guess, my passions, uh, but I'll jump onto a bandwagon of anybody or anything that's being left out and, and needs to be uplifted and empowered. I just can't imagine. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't, again, I, I didn't know your, your uncle, but this seems like you're living his legacy and so committed to those things and can see that, that connection. And uh, it's just really neat to hear you talk about that and to, to hear some of your story. So uh, Ana Grande, thank you so much for taking the time mm -hmm. right after your, your uh, travel back to the, to the States and all the best uh, to you and, and uh, all the work for justice you continue to fight for. Oh no. Well, thank you for having me and really, um, let me know what you pray to him about. <laughs> no, I will. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States. And when we're not working from home, the show is recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. AMDG is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leach, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with the Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.